You know, there's two things that come up in religious discussions today. And I think they're very common. Two things. One are miracles. And the other is the concept of speaking in tongues. And so from this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, I've taken the title, The Tongues of Men and Angels. You know, I was looking over this very idea, and it's been over five years since I preached anything like that here at this place. So I thought it might be fitting. I think it's relevant, and I think these are things that need to be understood from the Word of God. What does the Bible say, and what did Paul actually mean? In 1 Corinthians 13, beginning there in verse 1, Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understood or understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith, all faith, so that I can remove mountains but have not love, Paul said, I am nothing. Let's ask ourselves a couple of questions, though. What is a miracle? And does God help us today? Well, he absolutely does. But we want to ask ourselves the question, does he do so miraculously? The definition of the word miracle, and really this is a very simplified definition. A simplified definition of a miracle is a supernatural act that's done by God without means. That's a supernatural act done by God without means. All right, so what's providence? Providence, by the way, and I have to say... There's nothing about God that is not supernatural. You can't say that God is not supernatural. Everything God is, is supernatural. In John chapter 4, the Bible says that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God, everything about God, is supernatural. So what's the difference between a miracle and God's divine providence? Here's the difference. God, being supernatural, accomplishes his will through means, through physical means. Let me give you a quick example. Bob prayed for Terry just a moment ago, okay? Terry had triple bypass surgery on Tuesday. We prayed for Terry. We prayed for Terry. We prayed that God would be over that, that God would oversee that. We prayed that God would keep Terry safe. We also prayed for those that would administer care unto him. We prayed for the doctors. We prayed that the doctors would even have wisdom beyond their years and experience to do the right things for him medically. We prayed for the anesthesiologist. We prayed for the nurses that would be in his care. Terry made it through the surgery, and he made it through very well. So who gets the credit? God gets the credit. He gets all the credit. Because God did that through natural means. God uses means. He uses medicine. He uses doctors. He uses those things. But God, who is supernatural, gets all the credit. That is providence. That's not a miracle. What's a miracle? A supernatural event by God done through supernatural means or without natural means. Now, miracles that existed in the Bible existed for a reason. Number one, all four of these things are attached to the miracles that are found in the Bible. They were always for a purpose. They were always for a reason. 
Number one, it was always for the purpose of introducing a new era of revelation. What do I mean by that? It was talking about a time which God would speak. Miracles existed during those times. Number two, miracles were for the purpose of authenticating the messenger, giving credibility to the messenger. Number three, it was to authenticate the message that the message was right and the message was true and the message came from God. And number four, and please get this, it was always to, to prompt a response. You can't find one miracle in the Bible that was done for a personal or private benefit. A personal private benefit to a miracle. It was always to show the glory of God. It was always to show the glory of Jesus Christ. It was always for the purpose of bringing in things that, we, that God wanted man to accept. So all four of these things are attached to all the miracles that are found in the Bible. Now, interestingly, interestingly, and again, we're talking about miracles, supernatural act without natural means, okay? Of all the years that the world has stood... Miracles in that capacity only existed in three brief periods of time. It was in the days of Moses and Joshua. It was in the days of Elijah and Elisha. And in the days of Christ and the apostles. Okay? So, Moses and Joshua, God introduced a new era of revelation. It was called the law. And God brought in the law. Therefore, miracles existed to confirm that law. It was in the days of Elijah and Elisha. That was the period of the prophets. Again, God was speaking again through prophets and miracles accompanied that. And finally, Christ and the apostles. And that was from when Jesus was living. He was talking about the kingdom of the church being established. And it was done in the days of the apostles. Now, interestingly, of all those time periods was less than 100 years. Moses and Joshua, less than 100 years. Elijah and Elisha, less than 100 years. Christ and the apostles, less than 100 years. And by the way, there's going to be one more time when miracles are going to happen. One more. It's at the end of time when the Lord comes back. Everything that will be done then will be done supernaturally when we are raised to walk from the grave and we are those that are going to go to heaven, those that are going to, go, going to be redeemed on that day. All of those things are going to be a supernatural event, but that's the only other time that these miracles have existed. All right, let's back up. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. What about spiritual gifts in the early church during the days of the apostles? Okay? Do you remember in Acts chapter 8 when Philip was a preacher and he was in Samaria? And he's preaching to those Samaritans, and there was a man there by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. The gospel was preached. They believed the gospel. They believed in Jesus. They obeyed the gospel by being baptized for the remission of their sins, including Simon the Sorcerer. But you know what happened? There was a time, this was in a time of spiritual gifts to confirm the word of God and authenticate the message so spiritual gifts were left behind. But Philip was an evangelist. He didn't have that kind of power. It had to come from the laying on of the apostles' hands. So they called Peter and John. Here comes Peter and John, and they laid their hands on them, and they received a spiritual gift. All right. One of those gifts was the speaking in tongues. 
Another one of those gifts was the interpretation of tongues. Another one of those gifts was the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing. And we're talking about miraculous things, miraculous knowledge. That was a spiritual gift. And you know, without the word of God being present, without the word of God being completed, there had to be something. They had to leave behind something to authenticate the message and the messenger, didn't they? That was spiritual gifts. Okay, let's talk about the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul deals with spiritual gifts. And there were those that were coveting spiritual gifts. And finally, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 31, it says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. You know what's interesting about that? It makes it sound that he's saying, I want you to earnestly desire the best gifts. And you know what? That's what they were doing. They were looking for the showy gift. In other words, you can just imagine human nature. This guy over here, he wanted to have speaking in tongues. But no, this guy over here had it. This guy really wanted it. This guy was jealous of this guy. He wanted to have the tongue. He wanted to have the showy gift. This guy over here, he was puffed up. And he, and he was arrogant about the fact that he had a better gift than the other guy over there. So it makes it sound, when you look at this verse, that he's saying, I want you to desire the best gifts. But in the original, it doesn't say that. In fact, it literally says this. In the Greek, it says, you are continuing to covet the showy gift. In other words, he's saying what you're doing. But then he's going to say that there's an excellent way, a more excellent way. And it's 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What kind of love? Obviously, it's agape love. And agape love is the highest form of love you could ever have. It's the love, by the way, that is always connected to God. It is a love of service and sacrifice. So in John 3.16, a passage we all know, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, he loved the world. It was demonstrated, agape love, in the giving of his son. Service and sacrifice for others. That's agape love. Okay, talk about some things that love isn't. I'll be very brief about this. Have you ever stopped to consider in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul says, love your wives? When Paul says, love your wives. Now, I'm not talking about the love languages because I believe in all that too. I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm not talking about romantic love. In fact, did you know that that's another Greek word entirely, the word for romantic love? And it exists. Romantic love exists. But it's not found in the New Testament at all, not one time. So what is he talking about in Ephesians chapter 5 when I can read that? And Paul is saying, you need to love your wives. What kind of love is that? Romantic love? No. A good feeling inside? No. It's talking about agape love. And Paul says it like this. You love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do? And he gave himself for it. Little side note here, all the men that have wives. If that's how you imparted your leadership in the home, I have never yet met a woman that would fail to want to desire 
to submit to such leadership. If a man loved his wife like Jesus Christ does the church and gave himself for it in service and sacrifice, what woman, what wife would not want to be a part of that, would not want to submit to that? All right. What else is it not? This kind of love is not the fe- a feeling of emotion. You know, there's things in life sometimes we feel them and we love somebody because it feels like that. And we feel that naturally. We have natural affection and all that. That's not this word either. And thirdly and finally, it is not ecumenical. Big word. Big word. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but here's what it means. Ecumenical love is a feeling of tolerance and acceptance for someone else from a spiritual perspective, regardless of what they believe, regardless of what they practice, and regardless of what they teach. That is ecumenical love. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible at all. What's in the Bible, commanded love, is agape love. It is the highest form of love you can have. What is Paul saying? Paul is simply saying this. He is saying if you don't have the right kind of love, it doesn't matter what you do. Agape love. Another example, John 13 and 1. I love this passage. In John 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It makes it sound like this. Jesus loved them to the end of his life. Now, is that true? Yes. He loved them till the end of this life. Yes. That's not what this passage is talking about. It literally means this in the original. It says this. He literally loved them to the very limits or as far as love could go. That's agape love. You love someone to the limits. Agape love is just that. Paul is dealing with speaking in tongues. He's dealing with all of these spiritual gifts. And it has to be agape love where you have the right motive of service and sacrifice and humility in all those things, or it is meaningless. Okay, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the tongues of men. We're going to talk about two things, the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. And what is the Bible actually talking about when it says that? Well, we find out the tongues of men, Paul said. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, is what he said. Remember that I just mentioned a moment ago that speaking in tongues was the showy gift. That's the one that everybody wanted to have. And and Paul said, you continue to covet this showy gift, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And that was the motivation being love, right? All right. So they had the showy gift. Let's talk about speaking in tongues, though. It's a very misunderstood concept in the world today. Let's just notice what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 2, this is the first time when the gospel was preached with man having the opportunity to respond. It's the first time that the gospel was preached and man having the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Notice, while this sermon is being preached, this is what happened. Jesus told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until they got power from on high. Notice what happens. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so what is it? What's the tongues? It's very simple. All we got to do is look at the word. Look at the original word and what it means. Tongues come from the word glossa. It's found here in this passage, and it means human language. That's what they spoke. But there's so much more. They spoke human language. I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. It is normative human language. It is not a private speech. And it was never a private speech between an individual and God. And you know what else? And I'm not making fun. I'm not doing that at all. But it wasn't some gibberish that nobody could understand. It was never that. And it was never for private use. It was not that at all either. Tongues that were spoke in Acts 2 and verse 1 was human language. All right. Let's go to Acts 2 verses 5 and 6. And then there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They spoke languages. What else? You know what else? Now picture this. There's about a million people or so in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, 50 days following the Lord's Passover. It was Sunday morning about 9 o'clock. And all of this is going to happen. And the apostles are speaking in languages they did not study. And they would speak the words and other people would hear it in their own language. That's what it says. So they were confused. You know why they were confused? Look at this. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Now, you know, there was more to it than just saying these guys are from Galilee. Way more to it. By the way, you know, there's a term today that's not used in a derogatory sense, but it was back then. It would have been a word or a term like this would have been very derogatory. You know what that is? It's, it's the modern day phrase of redneck. I guess I'm one of those. Been a cowboy my whole life. Redneck. It's actually a term used today in a positive way. In other words, I don't know, in today's vernacular, it's kind of cool to be a redneck, I would say. But there was a time when the word was not used in a positive sense, but in a derogatory sense. What did they actually mean when they said, aren't all these that speak Galileans? They meant several things. One, they're from Galilee. That's obvious. Two, they're speaking in a tongue that they didn't study in Galilee because there were no universities that taught languages in Galilee. Three, that's where the hayseeds lived. That's where the common folk lived over there in Galilee. Four, do you remember when it said the idea of when Joseph of Arimathea, when he came to get the body of Jesus, do you remember what Arimathea means according to Luke? It means city of the Jews or Judea. You know what Galilee means? City of the Gentiles. Gentiles were looked down upon. They weren't smart. 
Now, they're sitting here. They're standing there. They're listening. There's a million people there. They're speaking in languages they have not studied. They're hearing language in their own native tongue. And they were from Galilee. Little side note here. The same thing was said about Nazareth. You know, Jesus, the greatest one that ever lived. The greatest preacher the world ever knew. The only one that ever was perfect. Do you remember what they said about Jesus? In addition to, oh, he's just the carpenter's son. Remember what they said in addition to that? They said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was the same kind of phraseology. It was the same kind of derogatory phraseology as saying, these guys are Galilean. Notice, verses 9 through 11. Here are the people that were present, and here were the people that were hearing this sermon in their own language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, uh, Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. The wonderful works of God. Okay? How'd they know it was the wonderful works of God? Because they heard it in their own language. That's what was spoken in Acts 2, folks. That's what was spoken in Acts 2. It wasn't some gibberish. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't some stammering. It, wasn't, it was bona fide languages. That's exactly what it was and what they preached. All right. So it is intelligent, normal human language. In Acts 2, verses 6 and 8, though, there was more. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. How is it that we hear each in his own language in which we were born? Okay. This word language is the word glossa, which is the word, the general word for normal language. Oh, but there's more. This got really good. In fact, they heard them not only in that general language, they even heard it in a specific language. You know what that word means? That's from the word dialecto or subgroup. That would be like this, in your own dialect. You all know I go to the Philippines every year. I've been going there for the first time 13 years ago, and if the Lord wills, in January, I will be going again, preach the gospel. And for years, people always ask me, they just don't know any better about it, they don't, they don't understand um, when they ask me this. But they come up and they'll say, now that you've gone so many years, can you now speak Filipino? Okay, there's no such thing. Filipino people speak languages. In fact, they speak Tagalog. They speak Ilocano. That's just two. They're two of the major ones. But did you know you can go to different provinces and you find what? Different dialects, which is like, for example, one of them is in Pangasinan. And you know what? It sounds totally different than what you find in other languages out there in the Philippines. You can go to different parts of the entire place and you can find different dialects. You know what these people got to hear? You want to talk about a miracle? The apostles were preaching the gospel. 
and they were speaking in their language, but everybody there heard them in their own language and dialect. All right. Sometimes people say this. Yeah, that's Acts 2, preacher. I get it. But things changed after that. I get it, Frank. Yeah, you made your point. That's Acts 2. But things changed after that. Well, let's notice. In Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. This is glossa. This is language. Okay? Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened twice. It happened in Acts chapter 2, and it happened in Acts chapter 10. Okay? And with that, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, and those that were able to speak were able to speak in tongues where others heard in their own language with no interpretation. There was no interpreter. That happened twice. Acts 2 and Acts 10. So, Acts 2, it's still just languages. Acts 10, it's still just languages. And also, in Acts chapter 11, it's talking about languages. And by the way, this is Peter reporting back to Jerusalem about what happened in Acts 10. And this is what he said. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift, Acts 10, Acts 2, same gift, language. They spoke languages. As he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? All right, the same gift. Acts 11, 16 and, uh, 16 and 17, but also there's another one. Acts 19 and 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now remember this. There's a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit only happened in Acts 2 and Acts 10, right? No interpretation needed. But remember what I said at the very beginning? I said spiritual gifts were given for the purpose of the apostles would lay their hands on people, and it would add credibility to the message and the messenger, okay, in the days of spiritual gifts. In Acts 19, we're talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul, an apostle, laid hands on them. But you know what happened? They needed to have somebody interpret it. So we go to the next passage. 1 Corinthians 12 and 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And by the way, this word interpretation... It comes from the Greek word hermeneuo, which means translation. And by the way, it's where we get the word hermeneutic. It is a way of interpreting scripture. That's what the word hermeneutic means. Okay? Are you kind of getting the point? When languages were spoken. And by the way, if it was a spiritual gift, it would be like this. It would be like this. If Chris, for example, had this particular spiritual gift. And he had the gift of tongues. Here was the miracle. The apostles would lay their hands on Chris. 
And Chris would now have a showy gift, a spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. What did that mean? In other words, he had the gift of being able to speak in a language he never studied. Okay? He never studied the language. And it was all languages. It was all understood. And then Gabe over here, let's just say, he was given the gift of interpretation. So Chris would speak. He didn't know the language. Gabe would interpret. He didn't know the language. That was the miracle. That was the spiritual gift. And that was done through the laying on of the apostles' hands. They were always understood. Everything that was said by way of tongues. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, there's more. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. What's that mean? Different kinds of tongues. That comes from the word, by the way, genos. Remember biology? Remember that? What was it? Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Remember that? Remember that in biology? He's talking about the different kinds of languages, too. Now, folks, listen. There's no kinds of family gibberish, but there are family languages. There's not group gibberish or race or nation gibberish, but there are those things by way of languages. Here's the point. Glossa meant tongues meant languages. They were spoken and they understood it in their own dialect. It was translated in the, in the days of spiritual gifts and it even broke it down into their own kind and they understood it in the age of miracles. Now, notice this though. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together into one place and all speak with tongues. Okay? Picture this. Picture this. Paul's writing the church at Corinth. You got the whole congregation. He pictures it like this. Everybody in the congregation is speaking in tongues. In other words, everyone is speaking in languages that they did not study. And there's somebody that comes in, a visitor, and he sits among them. You know what Paul said? If that happens, the uninformed and unbeliever that's in your midst will say you are out of your mind. Don't you see? It wasn't confusion. It was always translated too, so it was heard and understood. And Paul said, by the way, I'd rather speak very few words than speak in a tongue that nobody could understand. So when tongues were used in the assembly, it was for the purpose of confirming the word. It was for the purpose of authenticating the message. And there was always an interpreter because everybody understood. This is not chaos, folks. It was something they all understood. Not for private benefit either. Always prompted a response. But what about this? What about this? Sometimes folks say this. Okay. All right, preacher. That's the tongues of men. I get it. You're proving your point. Acts 2, tongues of men. Acts 10, tongues of men. Acts 11, tongues of men. Acts 16, tongues of men. Okay? 1 Corinthians, tongues of men. I get it. All that. But I speak the tongues of angels. Because Paul said... There are such things as the tongues of angels. And he said, and though I speak with the tongues of, of men and angels. What is that? What is angel talk? By the way, angels in the Bible, and I have to tell you this. I have to preface this. I have to say, 
I don't know everything there is to know about angels. In fact, years ago, years ago, a sister asked me, would you preach on angels? And I said, sure. And then I went to studying it. And I can read very few things in the word of God. And I have to tell you that I can't tell you definitively all that angels do. I don't, and, I, and you know what? I don't really care. I know that God, with his providential care through whatever means he chooses, gets things done. His protective hand is over us. Is that through angels? I have no idea about any of that. And it's okay that we don't know. All I can do is let's talk about angels in the Bible, please. In the Bible, they were messengers that spoke human language. Do you know why? If you didn't understand the messenger, how were you going to understand the message? It was languages they understood. So angels were those that came as messengers for God. And they spoke human language. All right. All that being said then, what about this? What is Paul talking about when he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels? And we've already proven that if you don't have love, it's all meaningless. We've proven that. That's what Paul says. We're going to get to that as we wrap this up quickly. But he says tongues of men and angels. What was he talking about when he says tongues of men and angels? Was he saying this is some sort of special angelic talk? Was he saying that there was angel talk or angel language? What was he saying? When he said, though I speak with tongues of men and angels... He is speaking in hyperbole or he is speaking in a, an exaggeration. It's an extreme exaggeration. And what he's saying is this. Even if I could speak the tongues of men and even if I could speak the tongues of angels, whatever that is. If I don't have love as the motivating factor, it doesn't matter at all. It's nothing. It's nothing. But let's go back to the passage and I'm going to add verse 3 now, showing that the whole thing is a hyperbole or an exaggeration. Go back to this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. All right, now, and have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Notice the hyperbole, the exaggeration. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries. Is it possible for Paul to know all mysteries? No, only God knows that. Let's go further. And all knowledge. Could a man ever know all knowledge? No. Only God can do that. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. And by the way, the context here is removing literal mountains. It's not talking about things we talked about before. Where mountains of difficulty, which was a Jewish colloquial phrase. This means literally. Paul said, if I can even have such faith that I can literally remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. He goes further in verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You see the point? He wasn't saying there's an angelic language out there that you may be able to have. He wasn't saying there's some sort of special thing out there that's your private prayer language. What have we noticed? We've noticed this. We've noticed this. It was always human language. It was spoken and understood even in dialects. 
In the age of spiritual gifts, it was translated and understood. It was broken down by family, group, race, and nation, and everybody understood it. 1 Corinthians 13 is speaking in hyperbole, but there's something I want to share with you. You see where it says, um, Sibeli and Dionysus? You know, I did, a little, I did a little research about that, and I thought it was really interesting because Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things, was writing some things that they totally would have understood. It was brilliant. First he said, if I have all these things and it's not love that's the motivating factor, I am sounding brass, a clanging cymbal, right? You know who Sibeli and Dionysus were? They, were? they were false gods at the time. They existed in paganism around that time. And history will tell you this. You can look it up. It's historical. You know what they would do? You know what the worshipers of these false gods would do? I read they would do this. They would come together as they would congregate to worship their false gods. And they would take symbols and clang them together. They would beat the gong. They would do that too. And blast the trumpets. And you know what it sounded like with all that going on? There was nothing melodious. It was noise. And that's exactly what Paul's saying is, if I have all this and I can do all this, but it's not with love, I'm just noise. I think he drove the point home. I think they understood. Okay. So, what about today? We've proven in the New Testament time, in the age of the apostles, we've proven when tongues were given, when they happened, for what purpose... But what about today? What about today? Well, let's talk about today. In 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 8, love never fails. He just talked about that, right? But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. And by the way, this is miraculous prophecies, okay? Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there are knowledge, that's miraculous knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. All we got to do is figure out that which is perfect. We go to James 1.25, and James says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know what that is? That's the word of God. The perfect law of liberty. So, when were they done away with? When the word of God was revealed? When the word of God was completed? And guess what? One final thing, and I'm finished. Been a wonderful audience. One final thing. If spiritual gifts like tongues had to be passed on by the hands of the apostles. So much so that even, even an evangelist, Philip, that was working for the Lord and guided by the Holy Spirit, so much so that he even had to go get Peter and John to come and lay their hands on him. You know what that means, folks? That means when John died on the Isle of Patmos, the last apostle, so did miraculous gifts. 
Does God help us? Yes, don't misunderstand me. Is God working in our lives? Yes, don't misunderstand me. Absolutely. Does God answer our prayers? Yes, absolutely. Does God, through his providential care, take care of us? Yes. Last time we talked about what is God's will. Absolutely. God has not just set this this world off somewhere, this universe, just to run by itself. He's involved. And whatever God's will is, we submit to it. And that's a matter of me bending my will toward God. Whatever God chooses, he takes care of us. I'm just saying, I'm not limiting God. He has limited himself where miracles don't exist today, which are a supernatural event done without means. Now, God being supernatural does so through means today. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.